welcome back to another episode of the JuiceCast. It's been so long since we recorded an episode that the bull market is back. Speaking of which, the JBX token is up over 60% in the last seven days. The, the cow, cow is back. back. JBX, JBX is still fucking. fucking. <laughs> <laughs> All jokes aside, we've been busy with the launch of Juice Crowd, a new app built on the Juicebox protocol that helps creators launch and grow successful crowdfunding campaigns on chain. Juice Crowd runs in crowds, which are small cohorts with a unifying theme. For our first crowd, we handpicked a range of blockchain-based projects, from privacy wallets to AI video bots, and everything in between. So there's something for everyone to support from now until December 24th. Each project has designed exclusive rewards that will only be available during the campaign. So make sure to grab your favorites and don't miss out. Okay, so back to our regularly scheduled programming. Today we'll be talking with Path and Riley. Path is the co-founder of Take Up Space, a decentralized media company giving Black, queer, and femme voices space to create and own the content they make. Riley is a longtime community builder and founder of Cloud Scouts, an on-chain scouting program that combines education and adventure online. In this episode, we dive into Riley and Path's backgrounds and what they're building at the intersection of Web3 and social justice. We discuss the relationship between decentralization and intersectionality, building community in a sustainable way, and how crypto rails can lead to a more equitable future. They also tell us about their Pride Telethon project on Juicebox, for which they hosted a 12-hour Twitter space with all funds raised going towards queer creators and builders that appeared throughout the telethon. We've been meaning to sit down with Riley and Path ever since the telethon in June, so this was a real treat to get to know them better and learn more about what they're working on today. This conversation was recorded a month ago, so please note that the context of some subjects may have changed. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome, Path, Riley. Thank you so much for joining us today on the JuiceCast. Thank you for having us. Ready to get juicy. <laughs> So why don't we start with like a quick intro into each of your backgrounds and sort of like what you were working on before you got involved with crypto and Web3 and all that. So maybe we could start with Path. Could you tell us sort of how you fell down the rabbit hole and what you were up to before? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a marketer by trade. Uh, So I was just slowly or actually fairly quickly not to toot my own horn, but climbing the corporate ladder agency and client side. Um, So I was running a digital marketing agency where I'm based in Edinburgh, Scotland, and was enjoying that. You know, I enjoy marketing. I enjoy people and figuring out people. And but really, like my love was in storytelling. Um, And that kind of love came from accidentally going viral on TikTok in 2020 um, and just kind of finding my people, my voice um, and my purpose through that. So I was kind of walking these like two parallel lines. Um, And then over time, I was just more and more called to that work that I was doing um, as a creator and then as a speaker um, and a writer. So June last year, I quit my job in agency land altogether. Um, And it was around this time that I started really focusing on building Take Up Space, um, which at the time, like originally, it was going to be more of an extension of the work that I was doing as a creator take up space is like a personal mantra of mine, uh, empowering other people to take up more space, which I think we all should be doing. And really there was like nothing to do with Web3. 
about it at all um, until my wife, Hannah, she was dabbling in, well, she had been dabbling in the crypto space since around 2017, more from like a day trading investment perspective. But she was starting to see these really interesting use cases bubble up on people utilizing NFTs specifically to crowdfund and kind of come together to fund things that mattered to them. So, you know, she would kind of like bring me these little stories and these little use cases being like, oh, there's, you know, this really awesome group doing this and this type of philanthropy and this type of social impact work. Um, And it took me a while to even listen because I was just in my eyes, like crypto NFTs, my eyes would just kind of glaze over. It just felt like a very alien, inaccessible world that had nothing to do with me or the things that I cared about. (laughs) Um, So it took her a little while to kind of break through those barriers. But really, once I started to see the impact um, that could be had while leveraging the technology, that's kind of when the the switch flicked in my brain. Um, And then really the more I learned about it, the more I was like, wow, I really am very aligned with the ethos underpinning Web3 and decentralization. I feel like it's just another word for people power and like giving power back to the people, cutting out the middlemen. And the systems that they're built on are often entrenched in systemic bias. I was like, wow, this is so me, actually, once I like wade past the NFTs and like the crypto punks and (laughs) bored apes of it all. So, yeah, that was kind of my falling down the rabbit hole. And then we quickly started thinking about, you know, what take up space could be if we start to play around with these technologies. And, yeah, that was kind of the start of the journey. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I I feel like a lot of us have a similar feeling of being really skeptical before getting involved and then something kind of clicks or something starts to make sense once you get past the initial crypto bro (laughs) stigma and you can kind of think of some of the bigger picture ideas that are actually here and sort of uh, I I think you're able to appreciate what people are building beyond just financial instruments and stuff like that. We'll get to take up space later, but Riley, could you also give us a a rundown of your background, what you're working on before you got involved in in Web3 and yeah, sort of that rabbit stole, rabbit, (laughs) Jesus, that rabbit hole story for you as well. Yeah, um, I had a you know ten to twelve year career in IT. You know, started out in tech at, at Lowe's, and that's when I came out. And so I didn't stay there much longer after that. Being in the South makes that quite difficult, especially in a very male dominated field. IT plus like home improvement retail space. So after that, I spent some time in TradFi and banking. So, you know, not that that was necessarily the place for me either, but it gave me a a look into the window of like what finance is. But I come into community and marketing and care, really, um, by the way of I've always created communities wherever I am. I've always had this inclination towards content and writing especially, but I never really considered myself a content creator or really a community builder. I was just doing what felt natural. And I, I, I do think that a lot of people are born to build community, however weird that may sound. I think that that's just like people care about each other and people care about other people having fun. And I think that when you combine those two things on the internet, you can do some really magical things. 
And so I was really hesitant to create my own community at first because that's a lot of responsibility. But as as you sort of grow up on the internet, you sort of find your groove. And the more people encouraged me to do this kind of thing, the easier it got to accept that this was something that I really needed to do. So I came into crypto through actually decentralized social. I love social networking, social networks, and like how much fun you can have by creating that content. So what was your first introduction to decentralized social? Like, are are you talking about platforms like Lens or Farcaster? Or what was sort of the entry point for you? So I was scrolling one day on uh, actually Coinbase, just like just like scrolling and and nerding out. And I came across uh, Deso, which is very similar to Lens. I stayed there for a, a season, the fall of 2021. And then I found BFF in January of 2022 and started working with them. What was really exciting to me was the fact that you could, liking a post meant that you were giving someone even just a penny because like pennies add up and these were, these were tips, right? So I love the idea that if someone says something really funny or smart or clever, then you should be able to tip them and show your appreciation. And Web2 doesn't really allow for that. Twitter doesn't allow for that. Facebook doesn't allow for that. But now we have that opportunity to say, hey, I appreciate this. Or I, th- I thought that was really funny. And so I, I think that that creates a-, a real relationship with, hey, I like you. Let me just give you a tip saying that I appreciate that. I think it's really interesting seeing how far we've come with the tech, like, Looking at Zora's recent announcement of like getting creators to have their gas covered, like as huge as like, hey, I like your work and like you shouldn't have to front that cost as like a creator. Like I support this, like being able to do that is like really cool to see. I want to jump back in time to the like Pride Telethon and then maybe work our way forward to the present again with both of what each of you are working on. And I know the tune kind of feels like a lifetime ago, like crypto, like sometimes like a few months can feel like forever, but both of you worked on this 12-hour Twitter space, also known as the Pride Telethon, to celebrate queer creators, artists, musicians, and builders in Web3. And to raise the funds, you launched projects on Juicebox, and all of the ETH rays went towards the guests that were joined with you throughout that space. And so I was wondering, reflecting back on this like crazy, ambitious telethon, what were some of the most rewarding moments or key takeaways from your experience? Did you want to start first, Riley? I think one of the most rewarding experiences was hearing people tell me how much fun they had, right? And, and how much they enjoyed hearing the musical guest interludes between the different speakers. And, you know, being introduced to those musicians that they didn't know before. And one of the things that still gets talked about, it was the uh, drag trivia. I still get, I still get DMs about that. People who really, who really love that, even though, I don't know if if something, it was something with my internet, but I couldn't hear anything the entire time. Really? And I was the host. So I was like, I was like freaking out because I didn't know if it was going to end or, you know, how spaces is. It just, it just freaks out. So. Anyway, it ended up being fine, and everyone had just so much fun. And I think that that shows the importance of these diverse voices and 
you know, seeing yourself, even, even if it's just from voice and hearing other people speak and not necessarily seeing them live on a live stream, feeling the power behind those voices is so much more meaningful to people than just like scrolling or reading or, you know, whatever, right? It, you, you really do get a connection with people in these long moments where you're really getting to know one another because we don't get a we don't get a chance to talk to each other every day. Totally. Yeah. Even like working in like the DAO environment in Juicebox, like we don't always get to interact with the people that we work with. So like whenever we get to do episodes like this, whether it's people we work with or people that we see and admire in the space, like it's like the chance for us to actually like have space with someone and like really get to know them and talk about things that like interest us or things that we don't know, listen to one another and things like that. And it's funny that you mentioned the drag trivia because last night, Matthew and I finished watching the season five of RuPaul's Strike Race. So, <laughs> Path, uh, is there anything that you want to share about like your reflections on that moment in time and mm. things that stood out to you? I think it just... I kept getting more energized, I feel, as it went on, which I was kind of surprised by. I think the longest Twitter space I had done was about three hours before. But I was really enjoying every single hour was different programming. And we'd kind of tapped both mine and Riley's networks of just queer excellence um, to kind of fill these slots. And even when, you know, one of them, there was supposed to be three guests and only one was able to make it, we kind of like changed on the fly and um, was able to have like these really on one hand, like some some of the conversations were really, you know, deep and important and meaningful. Um, and then on the other hand, an hour would just fly by of just people like just telling this absolutely ridiculous, hilarious stories. Like I was crying of laughter at different points. And then I was actually just crying at other points. Um, there was one moment that stands out to me where this this teenager kind of came on and, you know, they were in a really like dark place. And they just stumbled across the, the telethon. They had no idea about Web3 or anything like that. They just happened to find it and come in and listen to stories. And then they got on stage and kind of told us a bit about their story, which was, you know, equal parts inspiring and equal parts heartbreaking. And they kind of DM'd back and forth afterwards. And, you know, they said that they were so grateful to have found that space. And I think, again, it just, it speaks to what Riley said about like how powerful that can be, how powerful stories and testimonies and sharing really is um especially you know she's she's a person that is from a country where you know it's illegal to be to be gay so she doesn't have representation on tv or walking down the street and things like that so like this person was able to find this little corner of the internet at the exact time that they needed to and and feel you know supported by a bunch of strangers on the internet i think that's like really special and just yeah speaks to the power of having those community spaces, whether they are virtual, audio, um, or in person. Like not everyone has um, the privilege to be able to go to those spaces in person. So I think continuing to use, you know, this technology for creating space for those people who need it most, it was just, yeah, it was a really great example of that. Yeah, what I think I, I find most interesting about both of your stories is how you're interested in sort of the the Web3 and the crypto infrastructure for really different purposes than I think a lot of builders are in in the space. So I, I think 
a lot of the apps and a lot of the things being built are really kind of tech forward in terms of being sort of almost like, I think, tech for tech's sake, like, oh, we can build this on the blockchain, so we will. Whereas a lot of what I'm hearing from from both of you is sort of how you're more interested in people and stories and communities and, and the way that we can use this tech maybe a, a little bit more like under the hood and a little bit less in, in the foreground. And I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, this like lingering kind of public perception of crypto is like the you know, the scams and the dog coins and all of that. And then you're on the complete flip side of that, which is sort of like, no, we can do things, uh, you know, that are centered around the people that are here and around, you know, the conversations that we're having and thinking more about the diversity of voices that are involved in the space, thinking more about, you know, how we can think about representation and so I feel like this is kind of like an underexplored aspect of what we can do in Web3. And this overlap between social justice and crypto apps feels really underexplored. So I'm curious, like why this overlap or this like Venn diagram coming together is important or interesting to both of you. Maybe we could start with PATH. Yeah, I think just like the more I learned about the space, I was kind of like picturing this utopia in my brain where I was like, whoa, like we can start again. Like we can just like all the shit that's happened and, and, you know, build something that is truly equitable uh, for everyone. And I really saw that potential, but, you know, I've been in the space now two years to live up to that potential. I still believe that we need to get people in here who are going to be building things with the community with equity in mind, with representation, but not representation just to tick a box, but representation because if we get diversity of thought and different people with different ideas, like innovation, creativity, magic happens. It's not just like, let's look good for our website because we're look quote unquote diverse. It's let's get a bunch of different people to come in and especially people, I think, from like from the margins, I say all the time that culture is built from the margins, but so is innovation because people are often building things uh, to solve their own problems because the people who have traditionally sat at that table and had the capital and had the wealth and the resources to build things haven't had their perspective. So they haven't had them in mind. So I think it's just like an, an obvious use case. But yeah, it's really interesting because now we're what, like 18 months into a pretty hectic bear market things are weird. <laughs> like the things that get traction, like I feel like everyone's just kind of in a weird space right now. Um, and unfortunately, I have seen a lot of the people who even I was like rubbing shoulders with when I first entered the space have left altogether. One, because of, you know, the kind of downfall of Twitter and what's happening on that app, which a lot of us congregate around. And two, because they don't have the financial resources to unlock time and energy that is needed to invest time into this space. So you kind of need those resources behind you to have like the space to experiment and learn. Those things quickly go out the window. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, you know, fucking around with crypto is like right at the top when you've got like, you know, you can pay your bills, you can eat your food, you can get your gas. Like if you can't meet your base level of needs, then you're not going to be wanting to be in this playful experimental space. So I think, unfortunately, I have seen a lot of people who were here with those uh, missions in mind. They've kind of left because they just, they can't afford to kind of be here anymore. Um, I think for like people like me and Riley, we could have easily had the same outcome, but I'm not speaking for her, but I'm just extremely stubborn. 
And I still feel that, you know, I, I'm not about to give up two years of like hard work and, and kind of like steadfastness because it's tricky. I'm going to try and continue to stay here because I know that, you know, we are so early, but it is important to kind of, while this concrete is still, you know, being poured and is still starting to set that like, we are like plunging our hands and feet into it. So we kind of leave our mark, um, when it's going to be most impactful. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, Briley and I first got involved in, in all of this when we were in our previous career as artists. So definitely hear you on the on the resources front. I mean, it, it was definitely a, a big challenge to actually devote the time. And I, I remember feeling kind of cynical about it, frankly. Both of us were f- first looking into DAOs and we were like, well, how the fuck are we supposed to do all this work before even having any guarantee of being paid or like with all of these unknowns of sort of like, well, what if I don't, you know, get this contract or what if I, I don't get this proposal through or whatever. And I remember thinking that that was kind of a huge barrier, frankly, to, to new people getting involved because not everyone had that job at Google or, you know, or Meta or whatever and could just like sit back on that nest egg. Riley, was there anything that you wanted to add to sort of this like overlap between social justice and Web3 and sort of why, why this is meaningful to you? I love what what Path said, and I would say that, you know, while I've always been a huge nerd, right, I love technology, like, in my heart, I love technology. But when we think about creating new technology for technology's sake, and then adding money on top of it, right, that gets really toxic. That's very capital forward. And like, you can't build things without money, but you can't, I mean, you can build things with time right? When we're always looking at our phone, we're always looking at our computer screens. And I think that when we build more human-connected experiences on the internet, right, and on-chain, we're allowing ourselves to see other people as humans and not numbers or not dollar signs or not, you know, tokens, right? We should be looking at each other as other people and not, you know, friend tech shares or our Twitter at, right? You know, people are more than what they put out on the internet. So I think that while we have the ability to create more rich and immersive experiences online and on chain now, we should take advantage of the people that are creating these experiences and say, okay, you are a genius. Now let's create something for you know, the future of like how we are connected as people, not how we are connected as ones and zeros. Totally, totally. I wonder if we can switch gears a little bit and talk about Take Up Space and then Cloud Scouts. So kind of talk about what you're both building now and what you're up to. So maybe we'll start with Path and Take Up Space. So I think one of the interesting things about Take Up Space from what we've read and what we've seen is that you work in seasons. So you've sort of finished season one and you're now on to season two. And I feel like this model has been catching on a little bit. Like we've seen uh, Seed Club, we've seen Shifi, Boys Club working in seasons. And I feel like one of the strengths of that approach is sort of that it it kind of evens out a little bit of both the boredom of the bear market and then sort of the euphoria of the bull market. Like it kind of forces us to sit with a duration of time. And then once it's over, then we can kind of look back and say like, okay, this worked, this didn't work. 
and sort of look back on the learnings a little bit and then apply them going forward. So I'm curious if you can tell us a bit about the first season of Take Up Space Mm -hmm. and sort of what you learned and then how you're going forward with the second season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So just as like a TLDR of Take Up Space, so we're a community media company and platform for diverse creators. And yeah, that was a big unlock. So we went through the Seed Club Accelerator last year and then we spun off the DAO uh, at the end of December. And yeah, a big a big part of that was the power of containers. And I think going through Seed Club and seeing, okay, we're very focused for these 12 weeks and we've got the rituals together. We're meeting at the same time every week and we're getting into this zone. That was really powerful for us, me and Hannah, my wife, my co-founder. Um, so we were like, this is silly not to try and implement something similar with Take Up Space. So for the first season, we kind of had a a vague idea that we wanted to explore the creator economy. And really, it was like a really interesting co-created process with the community. We would come together every week and kind of discuss like, what's the best way? How? What are our strengths? What is the best way for us to explore that? And I think what we had shown a really good track record of was coordinating like Twitter spaces, events and panels. And I'm a public speaker and and podcaster. So we thought, okay, let's co-create a virtual summit and it quickly spun out from one day to two days. And what was really interesting was we would just kind of have these, you know, fig jams or we would pose questions to the community of like, how do we want people to feel out of the conference? What do we want people to learn? What are some topics? Who are the guest speakers? If we could have anyone show us all your crazy ideas. And like, I still have them now, the little sticky notes that just kind of went wild. And it's just a testament to like the brains trust of the take up space community, because like Riley's included in that as well. The ideas we're able to generate was just so much beyond if me and Hannah were just like, let's sit down and work this out ourselves. And then what was really special was once we had the form and what we we're going to create and a timeline and a plan, we opened up speaker applications. And I would say like half of the speakers who were on panels or doing keynotes came from within our community. So it was like a really beautiful example of what Take Up Space is, who we are. And I still dine out even to this day on the incredible feedback we got. We were able to sell out all the virtual tickets um, and just the people saying like, this is the best Web3 conference I've ever been to. This is the best conference I've ever been to. I was crying at 9am. I didn't expect that from like a conference, what is going on? And my favorite line was, this is culture in motion. And that I think just sums up everything Take Up Space is about and what we want to do. We are culture. We want to support culture makers. So we kind of like took that into season two after a nice two month break where I went back home to Australia and literally deleted Discord and Twitter for two months. It was very luxurious. <laughs> Highly recommend. So so then, then like season two came around and you know, we pulled together the learnings from season one and we were like, okay, we definitely explored like the creator and ownership economy. And we were able to introduce, you know, some of these new concepts, but we did it. None of it was really on chain. The only on chain thing about it was that we had like a commemorative NFT at the end. So what is something that we can do that's maybe a little bit more on chain and also what's something that can maybe bring a few more voices and also have a longer shelf life because it was an amazing two days, but then it was done. And the people who didn't get a ticket or didn't know about it, they didn't experience it. So we wanted to have a bit of a wider impact. So season two, which is underway now, we're launching our very first physical and on-chain magazine. And I just think a magazine is like the perfect form for 
a decentralized media company because it's already decentralized. Like you have all these different voices coming together under one umbrella, under one POV, but also having like stories and poetry and art. We're currently doing um, a curated drop uh, under the same theme of technology of togetherness. And some of the selected art will also be featured in the zine. So it's like, it is a technology of togetherness, like bringing this zine together, which I just feel like is just Mm. walking the walk in terms of um, bringing culture on chain and figuring out like what what can decentralized media look like in 2023. Yeah, like what do you think it means to be like a decentralized media company? And like, I know you've talked a bit about like the programming, but like what does that look like as the community that's like Mm. building that? Like what what do you feel like that means to you? Love this question. I think when we launched the DAO, we had a bit of an idea of what it could look like. Like, okay, here's the media supply chain. Let's just like add governance into it. And like that's decentralized, obviously. But I think now what we've realized after nearly a year and, you know, nearly two seasons under our belt is figuring out the strengths um, and the weaknesses like within the total organization. I think we've kind of figured out three parts. The DAO is amazing for ideation. Like I was saying, like that's where so many of those sparks, brilliant ideas kind of came from in the ideation phase. So continuing to use and leverage that network of um, creators for ideas makes the most sense. But when it comes to actually creating and producing media, I don't really believe in a system where you just kind of leave it up to anyone and everyone to create media because you you want to continue to have like a cohesive, brand voice, point of view, a consistent amount of like quality media. So it makes sense to kind of siphon off into more of a meta label form where you have a few creators who have a track record of creating great media, kind of just like iterating on that and and shipping that media as fast as they can. And I think the third piece of the puzzle is about distribution. And something we're looking deeply into right now is thinking about what could an on-chain media platform look like with like the take up space lens. So how can we create more on-chain media that is, you know, able to fund directly to the creators who are contributing to that through our specific lens? Because you have like Yozoras and different platforms kind of spinning up and they kind of aggregate, they have their own style and their own, you know, vibe. Um, But I know that there's something missing there in terms of like the audience that we have and the things that we care about. So having a home for the culture makers where you can collect media and know that that is kind of funding creators that you care about. So I think that's the final piece of the puzzle that we're excited to to build on at the moment. It makes me think a lot about how you've spoken in the past about intersectionality as like a way of understanding our blind spots, things we don't know and don't see. And, you know, that speaks to how important it is to hear from as many different people as possible with different lived experiences. And I'm curious to know if you see a relationship or a similarity between the sort of the ethos of decentralization, basically that there shouldn't be any like singular point, like any central point of authority and sort of the idea of intersectionality which acknowledges like the immense differences between how we individually experience and navigate the world. I'd love to know your Hmm. thoughts on like what you think of the relationship between these two ideas. Interesting. I'd never really made that connection, but I think it's, it's an interesting thought and thread to pull on. First of all, I think in, in regards to decentralization, I'm a big believer in 
progressive decentralization and also thinking about decentralization as a spectrum, like gender, <laughs> you know, I think that my first thoughts of what a DAO is, is that there is no leadership. Everyone just puts a proposal in and then like people vote on it and then stuff happens like kind of the nouns model, which I think that's like beautiful chaos in its own way. But when it comes to something like, you know, we have a specific mission, we have a specific people who we want to serve, there needs to be some layer of of centralization from like an editorial perspective to ensure that it's going to continue to meet the mission. Um, otherwise, it can just kind of fly, fly off the handle and it, it's not actually moving the needle on the thing that you care about. So I think when it comes to that, I'm a believer in like, choosing which parts make most sense to be decentralized, but ultimately I'm led by impact and what, what's going to get me to impact? What, what do I need? What levers do I need to pull to create impact? The relationship, I think that's an interesting, interesting point because when you do decentralize in a way, you're allowing for many voices to bubble up and many different perspectives to bubble up. And then what is really interesting is when you have like a critical mass kind of comes together and maybe it's in a different way than you expected because you only know like your experiences and your identities and your ideas and thoughts. Um, and I'm always like, I love when I'm like pleasantly surprised where I'm like, oh, I think I know the direction of like the season's going to go and things like that. And it's like completely far beyond what I could have ever imagined. Um, but yeah, I think the beauty of intersectionality is moving beyond the checkbox and understanding that, that we're humans, we have human experiences. Um, and how can we how can we connect and empathize with each other on a human level? And maybe that is through some of our identities and through the communities that, you know, we share. But oftentimes it's about like the feelings and the stories that kind of underpin those human experiences. Sorry, I'm not sure if that answered the question, but that's what I've got. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I thought that was pretty spot on. And it kind of made me think about decentralization and gender is like a spectrum. Like it's not like one or the other. So like it's interesting to think about it in that way, which I hadn't thought of before. So yeah, no, I, I loved your answer. And Riley as well, I'd love to know if you had any thoughts on this idea. Before the, the Twitter account that I have now, I wasn't necessarily really involved on the website, but I followed a bunch of trans people and a bunch of queer people. And in that space, you would have like go weeks of like everybody's talking about the same thing. It's not in crypto. It's like days or seconds or minutes that people move on to the next topic. But in those spaces, people really do go hard on this talking about certain topics for days on end. And you start to see certain figures bubbling up and, and to the top who have these, these voices that are very loud and very poignant. You get people who sort of steamroll the conversation and that takes away from the decentralization of it all, of a conversation or of a discourse. And that makes it a lot less fun. Totally. How about we change things up and talk about Cloud Scouts? This resonates with me a lot as someone that was in Girl Guides for like nine years when I was growing up. But before we jump into like those two ideas, how about we start with like what Cloud Scouts is and how it got started? So Cloud Scouts is scouting plus decentralization. Just like in person where you have a bunch of different troops in your local area who would normally come together, 
do things together at a scout camp or earn badges over the weekend or once a week. That's what we do. That's what we're building here. I started looking at all these different governance models, right? You have Moloch DAO, you have these, these Argon DAOs, you have these, these technical solutions, but I wanted to find a human-centered solution to this governance problem that we have, right? Because I, I, I think that all communities should be governed by the members, um, not just DAOs, right? Just a, nor- just a normal community, right? People in the community should have a, a voice, right? So this idea of dynamic governance, also called sociocracy, right? I started talking about it. It is actually relatively new um, from about 2017, 2016-ish, I think. A lot of collectives use it. A lot of cooperatives use it. And it is a, it is a model based on consent. So we're combining consent, voting with learning, really, and adventure. That's what scouting is. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think about when I was first coming into the space, like I first saw the idea of DAOs as kind of like co-ops. Like it was kind of like that idea that clicked for me. But obviously like different DAOs have different structures, like the nouns or the Aragon or whatever. So I love that you're like looking into like this structure of girl guides through both like the badges as reputation, but also like the hierarchies and like how there's like either the patrols or the council or whatever. And there's like the DAO and the sub DAO. Like it makes a lot of sense how these two things can kind of relate to one another. And yeah, I feel like when I was in uh, Scouts, it was like kind of a weird time because around halfway through, like the laws and like the mottos were kind of changing. Like we would kind of recite them. And like originally it was like, I promise to do my best to be true to myself, my faith in God. And like, it kind of switched from like my faith in God to my beliefs and I will take action for a better world. And I still feel like these organizations have like a long way to go with how they empower the youth and how they acknowledge all of our unique identities. But I did feel like it was one of the more unique after school programs for like encouraging women to be leaders in their own like local community and encouraging them to figure out like what areas they are interested in being more passionate about and kind of like encouraging them to go into that direction. So I was just curious, like how your experience was when you were in Scouts and how you feel like that informed like what you're doing now, like with College Scouts. Yeah. So when I was thinking of like, what do I build in the space? Like, what do I want to be? Who do I want to embody? And So I was in Scouts as a child, and, you know, even though Scouting is mostly for children or teens, I believe that adults deserve something like Scouting because you do age out at 18, 19-ish. And so a lot of adults, they are aware of Scouting, but they don't really have an outlet for that kind of adventure anymore unless they want to lead children right in in these these adventures these badges and so what i have observed through lived experience is that friendships and exploration are fostered by these small friend groups these small communities of patrols or troops right you have these small groups of people who are learning and adventuring together in person. And I believe since 
We have so much of the internet still left to explore that we have an opportunity here to really take that on and say, okay, let's bring together 10 to 30 to 100 people and see what the internet has to offer, see what blockchain and crypto has to offer for us, for the people in the space. You don't have to have a Discord server. All you, all you need is a chat room and then you fill, it, fill the rest in, right? With these badges where you're actually learning skills or exploring applications. I just think that the internet has felt very lost for a while. Both the websites that people use and the people that use them, right? And I think that we need to get back to adventure on the internet rather than, you know, whatever we're doing now, right? With the, you know, greed and discomfort Mm -hmm. of it all. I think that with these experiences, we can, we are afforded a lot of opportunity to get closer to, you know, what exploration means online. And on chain. Yeah, I I love that you're leaning into this kind of, I would describe it as like playful, but I I like the word exploration as well. I think that's a really good way to think about some of the applications that we're building as well is like, if we're not building things that are going to spark joy or delight or wonder or something, then I don't think it's ultimately going to be successful. Like, I, I think that we need to be working on projects that bring people something that's kind of exciting. Uh, we talked with uh, the creative director, uh, Peace Note at Seat Club. One of the things that he said that really stuck with me was that like the internet was built to like blow your mind. Like you needed to have these like Easter eggs and you needed to have these experiences that kind of surprised you and that that was actually kind of fundamental to what our experience of the internet should be. Like it, it should be rooted in these kind of moments of like, wow, I didn't know that this was possible and now it's possible. So I love that you're kind of leaning into that angle of exploration and playfulness. I think play is very important. When I look back at my childhood and the person that I was was like very extroverted as like a small child. And then like as you grow older, you sort of get this delusion of like what the world is. Like, what are we all doing here? And so getting back to that playfulness of like having fun, right? I think that a lot of people aren't having fun on the internet right now, at least not the kind of fun that we know that they can, right? I think a lot of people are just going through the motions. And when you add play on the internet, rather than just like games or like social capital games, right? It makes it a lot less fun. So hopefully we can bring some play and whimsy back into the space. Totally. So as we wrap up on this conversation, is there anything that we didn't touch on that either of you wanted to shout out? It could be something that you have coming up or just an idea or something that you wanted to explore before we wrap up? Yeah. So as part of season two of Take Up Space and under the theme of technology of togetherness, we are curating an art drop on Zora. So we're taking over the Zora homepage, taking up space as much as we can. And yeah, there's just like a bunch of incredible queer and uh, POC artists who have contributed beautiful works, um, which will be minted for the first time on the Zora network. Um, so by the time this goes live, it may already be live. So if you haven't already, go check out Zora and yeah, enjoy the beautiful curated uh, artworks from the Take Up Space community. 
Amazing, amazing. And Riley, is there anything that you wanted to add before we wrap up? Yeah, because we are going very intentional, very slow with our imaginings, we are at the stage now where we're writing a handbook, a guidebook, a manual for how we create scout troops online and on-chain. And we're doing this very digital native. We're creating this handbook for people to read and learn about who we are and what we're doing. So that's what I'm in the process of doing right now. I don't know when it's going to be released, but stay tuned. All right. Well, thanks so much, Riley, Path, for taking the time to sit down with us. We've wanted to do this for quite a while and... I feel like the best part of our job is being able to share space with the builders and creators in crypto that we see online, but we don't always get the chance to get to know a bit better. So I really appreciate having the time to talk about what you're working on and sort of your backstory. And thanks again. Thank you for having us and also for your support uh, during the Pride Telethon. We really, really appreciated um, everything you did to help us out. And yeah, it's always a pleasure to share space uh, with you, Riley. Yeah, thank you both so much. Um, Your support during the, the telethon was amazing. And I've just really loved speaking with you today. Thank you. Oh, thank you both. All right, this was super fun. I'm glad that we finally found the time to <laughs> to do it. We've been thinking about it ever since the telethon. We've been like going back and forth like, oh, we really need to talk to them. And then <laughs> now we're finally doing it. So thank you both again. Thank you.